It's the crown jewel of the F1 calendar, but it's also a race that isn't the most exciting. However, the history, the glamour, and the importance of the Monaco Grand Prix still exists, and it's a race that drivers want to win more than others. We'll have the five things I'll be watching out for this weekend in Monte Carlo, a look at the circuit and the top five and bottom five from the last Formula One race, the Miami Grand Prix, in the beginning of the month. Plus, we'll talk about the Monaco Grand Prix and its relevance today in a sport that is changing. I'm Tony Desiree, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast. Please subscribe if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast or relatively new and enjoy what you're hearing. It definitely helps us in the algorithms. If you are brand new, glad you're aboard. We have previews and reviews of every Grand Prix during the season, going over the news and notes of the paddock. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. Also, if you'd like to email the show, Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com. All right, and with that out of the way, let's get to something really important, and that is that our thoughts and prayers are with the people of the Emilia-Romagna region of Italy. Obviously, Formula One could not race at Imola last weekend due to the flooding, a flooding that has claimed lives. It left a path of destruction, and of course, our thoughts, prayers, and economic support going to the region and the people of that area. I bring that up because Formula One is now heading to the glitziest, glamorous, and wealthiest region of the world, Monte Carlo, for the Monaco Grand Prix. And while there's going to be yachts and parties and champagne, I I still hope that the thoughts are with the people of the Emilia-Romagna region of Italy as they continue to struggle in the aftermath of what happened last weekend in the flooding. But we do have some storylines that we do want to get to in Monte Carlo for the Monaco Grand Prix, and let's get started. So the number one thing I'm looking for is Charles Leclerc. Earlier in the podcast, I asked if you would leave a five-star review. It helps us with the algorithm. Well, somebody did that and said that they love the podcast, but I'm uh, obviously I'm a Ferrari fanboy. I make no qualms about it. Ferrari is my team. I've been rooting for Ferrari for a very, very long time. Now, I am a journalist. I am a sports broadcaster. So I do have to come at this with an objective view. Sometimes the fandom leaks out a little bit. But nevertheless, I still still pull for Ferrari. And as far as Charles Leclerc goes, can this guy catch a break on his home circuit? He grew up in Monte Carlo. He wants to win this race so badly. What has he done to the Monaco racing gods that have given him such bad luck over the last two Grand Prix weekends there? Right? 2021 had pole position, but then he crashed in the final minutes of Q3. That crash ended up costing Leclerc the start of the Grand Prix. They tried. They worked on the car, evaluated the car, went on a little lap before the Grand Prix. Gearbox was a problem. Couldn't race. So he couldn't even run in 2021. Max Verstappen took the victory. He had to sit and watch it. Last year had pole position. Rain delayed the start of the race. Had a good four to five second lead in the Grand Prix, but then later on, confusion with Ferrari had them double stacking Carlos Sainz and Leclerc. He dropped back to fourth, never got back up front, hard to overtake in in Monaco, and he finishes outside the podium after starting on pole position. So, Charles Leclerc is definitely somebody I'm going to be watching because he runs well there, he gets that car on pole position, but the last two years, something has happened that has made us scratch our heads, and we wonder why why he can't get to the finish line and come up in first place. So Charles Leclerc is the first storyline that I'm watching for Monte Carlo. But the second one, and I'm sort of alluding to it after the part one, is qualifying Saturday. If you want to win the Monaco Grand Prix, you are going to do so at the front of the grid. 
you are going to do so usually from pole position. Now, granted, Leclerc started from pole but couldn't race in 21. That meant Max Verstappen was sort of the de facto pole sitter. He didn't get the first grid, but he was in P2, so therefore he was the first car off the grid, and he won the Grand Prix. And last year, there were those circumstances with the double stacking. But make no bones about it. You are not winning this race from P7. You are not winning this race from P8, P6, even P5. It is going to take something unusual, some bizarre circumstance to let you win the Monaco Grand Prix if you are starting fifth on back. And that's not likely to happen. So qualifying here is more important than in any other racetrack on the calendar. And that's what every team knows when they go to Monte Carlo. We have got to get the car, at least one of them, into Q3, and we've got to have a good running. And so qualifying Saturday is extremely important. This is where your winner is going to come from. So that's the second thing to watch out for this weekend. Now, the third thing to watch out for this weekend is something so simple. You're probably even going to be questioning why you're listening to this podcast, but don't turn it off just yet. Who is going to win the Grand Prix? Now, you may say to yourself, boy, Tony, that's simple. Don't we watch races to see who wins? Of course we do. We want to see who wins every single weekend. But in the case of the Monaco Grand Prix, there are two things as to why this is different. This is different than other circuits. One, the winner is going to win a very, very special event. This is a historic victory. We can go through all of the Grand Prix that are on the calendar, and there's not one that's like winning in Monaco. It is one of the premier motorsports events in the world, and you are going to be in the history books. You can win at Singapore, and you can win in Japan. You can win in the United States. You can win inaugural races, but it is nothing like winning at Monaco. There is a special atmosphere that Formula One has at this race. You can win races on the Indy circuit, but winning the Indianapolis 500 is different. You can win all the NASCAR races you want. Winning the Daytona 500 is different. That's Formula One's race. This is Formula One's big event. It may not be the most exciting race, and we'll get to that later, but it is its most important in terms of prestige. So that's one. But there's a second one, and I think it's really vital to this season. It might be somebody other than the two Red Bull drivers. Now, Red Bull has won the last two Grand Prix in Monaco, but because of what I said earlier, the winner is going to come from qualifying on Saturday. You've got to be up front, and things can happen in, in Monaco during qualifying. You can. We saw Sergio Perez crash at Portier. We saw Charles Leclerc crash in 2021. Things can happen in Q3 that sets the grid up in a way that makes you go, oh my goodness, Ferrari's got a chance to win this race. Aston Martin might have a chance to win this race. Mercedes could win this race. So again, with qualifying on Saturday and the fact that this is a race where Red Bull's speed is not going to dominate. They're not going to be way out in front like they were in Baku. It's really hard to overtake there. The cars are pretty much going to be running close together. It could be another winner besides Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, and that would be the first time this season that we would see it. So somebody new in 2023 could win a Grand Prix in Monte Carlo. 
The fourth thing, and that is Mercedes and their upgrades. Will they actually help? Mercedes was scheduled to reveal the upgrades at Imola last week, but obviously that didn't happen because of the cancellation and the flooding. The upgrades included a revised side pod, a new floor, front suspension. Now, these upgrades may not really help them this weekend at Monaco. It's a different kind of circuit, but there is hope that it is just a small step in helping the team get into a much more competitive state from here on out as the European swing is going to be in full force on the calendar. Total Wolf does believe there could be some performance improvement in the car this weekend, but it could be small, but it still could be important in a race where small could matter. So look for Mercedes this weekend. These upgrades, they've been highly touted. We're really seeing it supposed to pop at Imola. Again, you're not going to see it pop as much at Monaco. It's not going to be eye-opening, but it might just be enough that gives them an edge or two, and that could really help them win this Grand Prix when it's all said and done. Fifth thing, and And this is sort of a a Monaco thing, right? Because something's going to happen, right? We saw Valtteri Botas and the the stuck nut on the wheel that caused him to to be out of the Grand Prix a few years ago. Charles Leclerc, we just chronicle his troubles. There's always something that seems to happen in the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. It's fast. It's quick. It's really tight. Cars are going to hit barriers. There's not a lot of overtaking. It can get boring, but there's always something that sort of pops in. It could be weather. We saw rain last year. So given that it's, again, a street circuit, and while it's a tight street circuit, expect something to occur that could result in how the race is run and how the race is decided. Last year, Ferrari made the double stacking mistake. You could see a red flag, a safety car. There's going to be something that's going to happen in the Monaco Grand Prix. So those are the five things I'm watching for coming up this weekend. And again, a big weekend of motor racing. You've got the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indianapolis 500, the Coca-Cola 600 and NASCAR. It is a massive, massive triple header of very, very important races coming up on Sunday. All right, let's get to track talk. Now, if you are very familiar with this race, you know how this circuit is. If you are kind of new to Formula One, well, welcome aboard. Let's let's go over the Monaco Grand Prix and its run through the streets of Monte Carlo. This is, as I mentioned earlier, part of the Triple Crown of Motorsports, along with the Indianapolis 500, which will also be run on Sunday. 24 hours of Le Mans, that makes the Triple Crown. It's been run since 1929, goes through the streets of Monte Carlo. It is narrow. There are elevation changes. You go up Bull Rivage after that first turn at Sandoval, you are going up and then you are going back down right to Portier. You're going to go through the tunnel around the swimming pool. Uh, Anthony knows you're going to head to the start finish line. It's quick. It's tight. It is probably one of the more harrowing circuits on the calendar because of everything being so it's quick, right? You're going left, you're going right, you're going so fast. There's no long straight to sort of get your bearings. You're always shifting gears all through the streets of Monaco. Part of the circuit goes right near the harbor. It has the slowest corner in all of Formula One. That's the hairpin turn. Um, it takes in first gear. The tunnel, that's very unique to Formula One. It takes the drivers out of the daylight into artificial light before coming back into the sun again. If it's raining, it takes them out of the rain into the dry of the tunnel, back out to where it's wet again. So it's a very unique feature in the Formula One calendar. A lap around Formula... A lap around Monte Carlo... 
a lap around Monte Carlo at its fastest speed is about 70 seconds. Uh, it's again, it's got so many quick turns. Drivers have to be on target for the entire Grand Prix. They have to be focused on the gear changes, the braking points. There is really no time to sort of catch yourself a little bit. There's no long straights to, again, to kind of set yourself back up again for another run through the corners. You are always, always moving one way or another around Monaco. Drivers don't even get up to eighth gear. It's that quick. You can get up to seventh, but then you're, you're just throttling back down again. The late Ayrton Senna has the most wins in Monaco, six. Graham Hill and Michael Schumacher each have won there five times. As for current drivers on the grid, Lewis Hamilton has three victories around Monte Carlo. Fernando Alonso has won there twice. Red Bull Racing, as I mentioned earlier, has won the two last two Monaco Grand Prix with Sergio Perez, the defending champion, Max Verstappen winning in 2021. Daniel Ricciardo won four, five years ago, 2018. So they had a didn't race in 2020 McLaren has 15 wins in their team's history. Their last coming in 2008 overtaking is almost non-existent throughout, but it does occur. Um, the Nouvelle chicane that comes right after the tunnel. That's the best place to do it. That's where you can see a lot of attempts to overtake, especially with the leader. If there's somebody right on his right on the back, the Nouvelle chicane is where you want to watch when they come out of the tunnel. That's where you want to watch for any move that a driver is going to make to take the lead of the Grand Prix. But again, you can find overtaking at various other points, but it, it, it doesn't really happen. It's, it's not, uh, it just does not exist there. They, they tend to go around in a line. We're going to get to a lot of that right uh, at the end of this podcast about the overtaking and just the nature of the race itself. Pirelli is bringing the softest combination of tires for this weekend. C3 for the hards, C4 for the mediums and C5 for the softs. It'll be 78 laps and there is one DRS zone. It's coming right off turn 19 to the start finish line. That's it. So that's what you have through the streets of Monte Carlo for the Monaco Grand Prix. All right. Again, we did not race at Imola last weekend due to the flooding. We have to go back to the Miami Grand Prix at the beginning of the month of May for our top five and bottom five. If you're new to this podcast, in the preview section of the upcoming Grand Prix, we kind of do a little mini review of the last race with the top five and the bottom five. And as I mentioned, almost in every podcast, the bottom five and the top five could be anything. It's not drivers. It could be teams. It could be circumstance. It could be track. It could be anything. So let's get to the bottom five from the Miami Grand Prix from the beginning of May. By God, it feels like a while ago, doesn't it? All right, number five, it's Logan Sargent, the hometown hero, just finished last. And it was just a bad weekend overall. Now he's a rookie. He had never raced on the circuit before. He did suffer some early damage, but they had to make a pit stop after the first lap. It set him back of the pack. And because there was no safety car, he couldn't recover when other teams would pit and he would stay out. So it meant that there couldn't, he couldn't take advantage of that situation where he had to take a early pit stop. He ended up coming out in dead last. That's where he stayed. It's another learning curve for Logan Sargent and being the American driving hope for Formula One, but it was a bad weekend. I know he would have liked to have done better. I don't think he was going to run in the points, but you don't want to finish last in your home circuit. You've been looking forward to racing in a Formula One car in front of all your family and friends, but dead last, I know he wanted to do better, but he is in the bottom five. He's not in the top of the bottom five, but he's in the bottom five. Number four, though, this is a team that's been in the bottom five for a couple of times already this season, and once again, 
They're in the bottom five, and that's McLaren. Another disastrous weekend. They've had a couple of these this year. Both drivers, Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris, started on soft tires. But again, because there's no safety car in the Grand Prix, the strategy doesn't pay off. Lando Norris getting tangled with Nick DeVries early. He finishes 17th. Oscar Piastri, another rookie, finishes 19th. Another rookie is in the bottom five, and that is Nick DeVries. But this one is unique because an 18th place finish in Miami, he's a rookie. He wowed us at Monza when he was doing fill-in work, but we have gotten tons of conversation now. A lot of it may be just filling in spots because, it, you know, we again, we didn't have a race at Imola. We had a week off after the Miami Grand Prix. Maybe it's just people wanting to draw up attention, but there's been some conversation about his future at AlphaTauri. And he's just been disappointing. He has not popped this season. Don't expect a rookie to really wow you, but I think the expectations after what we saw when he drove for Williams and Monza was that he was going to race really well his rookie season. He was going to do some spectacular things, you know, like, you know, finish maybe 10th in a race, not, not winning a Grand Prix. Don't get me wrong. But he hasn't. He hasn't done that at all. He hasn't popped, as I mentioned before. And again, an 18th place finish at Miami is continuing a conversation about his Formula One future. That's too bad. But number two on the bottom five is Charles Eclair. His crash on Saturday stopped Q3. It's a reason why Max Verstappen started ninth on the grid on Sunday. He started seventh. He never got anything going during the race. He had some bottoming out issues on the car that caused some problems during high-speed runs. This has not been a good year for Charles Leclerc. He'd love to change it at his home track this weekend in Monaco, but it hasn't been a very good season so far. Miami just felt like yet another Charles Leclerc thing. It just felt like... Yeah, of course. He crashed out of Q3 on Saturday. He started seventh. He never could make a charge. It just felt like another disappointing race for Charles Leclerc. The number one thing in the bottom five is the Miami Grand Prix itself. It was only the second year for this race, but they were coming off being the hottest ticket in Formula One and in a lot of ways in American sports in 2022. In its second running, the race wasn't even sold out on race day. There is not a lot of shading. The locals in the Miami area are also dealing with the fact that the Florida Panthers and the Miami Heat were both in the playoffs, so there was other options that weekend to spend their money if they wanted to get tickets to those events or stay home and watch those events. But I also saw that the driver introduction was just a little too much with uh, Will I Am and LL Cool J. The drivers in the fire shoots, it's a blazing sun. They're getting introduced to the crowd. Now, some of the drivers liked it, don't get me wrong, but others thought it was a little bit too much. It was a little over the top. Now, again, Miami Grand Prix has another year to sort of figure out its pricing till it does fill the stands. Maybe there's a way that you can start building a little bit more shading. Um, they're talking about possibly running this as a night race. That would be great if they can get the configurations on that in the future. Not, not going to happen in a year or two, but in the future. So there's some things I think they're working on with some of the problems already in its second year. The Miami Grand Prix really didn't live up to some of the expectations that at least those of us in America would like to see at races in the country. All right, let's get to the top five from the Miami Grand Prix. And right off the bat, we're going to go with number five, and it's Alpine. 
Had to put them in the top five. Both Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon finished in the points since they did not do that in the last two races prior to Miami. So let's give them some love. Gasly finished eighth. Ocon ran ninth. Um, number four, it's Yuki Sonoda. I I haven't always been on Team Yuki, but this season he's showing some consistency. Now, he didn't finish in the points. And so it wasn't a banner day in that regard, but he did finish 11th and he's been putting his car in position every week to at least gain some points. He's been one of the most consistent drivers in the midfield, backfield, whatever you want to call it, all season long. Sonoda has been a bright spot for this team. They're dealing with Nick DeVries, disappointing in his rookie season. I mean, again, his rookie season. But Yuki Sonoda has been a guy that's been getting this team some points and consistent runs. All right, number three, Sergio Perez. Now, he started from pole position after Leclerc's crash ended Q3 early. He finished second. That gave Red Bull another one-two finish, which is what they've been doing all year, except for Australia. It was the best of the rest. It was another great Red Bull weekend, and he was just a sitting duck. When Max Verstappen got on the mediums, there was nothing he's going to do. He's a tire whisperer, but even he couldn't do anything against Verstappen and that strategy that works for Max. And that's why Verstappen is number two in the top five. I want to make this clear. I don't always put the driver that wins in, as number one. Max Verstappen is, is in a special category because when he wins, we sort of expect him to win anyway. How he wins can put him uh, number one. It can put him fourth. It depends. But this was a great drive. I mean, it was a real masterclass. He went from ninth to second in 15 laps. So he was right there in fighting distance distance for the lead of this race relatively quickly, right? Took it to the rest of the field, had that double pass coming down to the start finish line. That was just brilliant. Once he got on the medium tires, once he made the pit stop after making the hards go for a very long time, again, it was only a matter of time before he was going to pass Perez. And then he just kept increasing and, and pulling away. He had the fastest lap of the Grand Prix. So why isn't Max Verstappen my number one? Because I'm giving it to Fernando Alonso, and I'm giving it to Fernando Alonso for one reason. Because he sent a radio message to his team saying, tell Lance that was a good overtake, because he's cruising around the Miami Grand Prix watching television. And so that line, that radio message was great. Here's a guy in a race car flying around a circuit and had enough to look up and see an overtake by his teammate and wanted to just let the team know that he saw it. He had third place all alone. He was really cruising. He's not going to be winning straight up against Red Bull, but he can win Grand Prix if something happens to Red Bull. He could win this weekend um, in Monaco. But he has had a phenomenal season. He seems to love this team. He loves everything about this team. He's talking glowingly about everybody, including Lance Stroll. That's what you do when it's the boss's kid. I get it. But Fernando Alonso is number one because, again, he watched television while driving around a circuit. All right, so let's get to this topic that I want to close the podcast on, and that's the Monaco Grand Prix and its relevance in 2023. If you're new to Formula One, you're not going to like this race. It's not a race. It really isn't. It, there's hardly any overtaking. It's very narrow. And cars just tend to go around without ever making big moves. You need something kind of dramatic to happen to shake it up. And you can't always count on that. Is it important? Hell yeah, it's important. It's one of the most prestigious events in global motorsports. Like I mentioned earlier, it's the trip part of the Triple Crown. Indianapolis 500 and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. It's glitz and glamour unlike any other place they go on the calendar. Now, for some people, that's a little too sappy. It's a little too fake. 
and they don't really like the champagne and the yachts, but it is part of the identity of Formula One, and Formula One knows this. They want the drivers to be on an, a, a, a social level that's very, very hard. They want the glitz and the glamour and the ritzy products. They want that. They want that image. But it's a sport that is also trying to appeal to a large, large group of new fans, especially where I live in the United States. And if you are trying to attract new fans, you've got to give them racing. Now, there are 23 events on the calendar. And as we talk about all the time on this podcast, some races are awesome. Some races are built for the kind of excitement of, of a Grand Prix weekend. They're built for overtaking. They're built for speed. They're built, they're built for handling. They're built for different aspects of racing that we just can't wait to get to. There are others that are duds. I've mentioned many times some of the Grand Prix I don't really like. I watch them all, but some of the circuits I, I just I don't like. I'll give you know most of us didn't like Sochi, for example. Most of us didn't like the Russian Grand Prix. It's now off the calendar, but man, every year that would come around. You're like, oh, that track, yikes! Bunch of ninety degree turns, one big sweeping. Oh, it's yuck. Monaco brings us a track of historical significance. Because it's relatively unchanged. I mean, there's they've added the swimming pool and whatnot. But if you look at the, the circuit from like 1929, it's relatively similar to what they're running in 2023. And again, a few little changes, but they're roughly the same. So historically, it's huge. The level of importance and the globalness of motorsports, it's huge. But Formula One has done sprint races. It has gone to different venues. It's taken venues off the calendar. It's adding more races. It is definitely trying to garner the new fans. Drive to Survive was popular. They want to keep that going because of what they're seeing in terms of interest, not only in the United States, a target market, but around the world. But Monaco is not going to be a Grand Prix that is going to be used to attract people to your racing entity. It's going to be used to showcase the, the, the other things about Formula One that it wants to show off. It's association with glitz, glamour, wealth, celebrity, etc. That's what this Grand Prix does better than other places around the world. It's still really significant. As I said earlier, that's just built into the sports culture. Winning at Monaco means you've done something really big in motorsports. It's a big deal. You may never win another race on the Indy circuit, but if you win the Indy 500, you are in the history books. If you'd win the Daytona 500 and nothing else, you will forever be remembered as a Daytona 500 winner. I think about this. I think about the Open Championship in golf, or the British Open, as some call it. I think about winning that, what it means to the people of Great Britain. The, I have had people tell me, and when I used to cover golf, I used to talk to a lot of people who covered the British Open or the Open Championship uh, on a regular basis from England, and they would say, look, you don't have to do anything else in golf. If you're a Ben Curtis, and, and this is the only major you win, or this is the only highlight of your career, we'll remember who you are forever. We will honor you as a champion of our sport forever. You get to come back to this thing and we will shower you with praise. And Monaco is very much like that. It, in, the, in, the, in the world of motorsports, if you win the Monaco Grand Prix, it is much different than any other place on the calendar. So again, it's not the most exciting race. 
There is nothing they can do about it. They're not going to widen the circuit. They're not changing the circuit. This is what it is. It is one week of 23. I don't think all of them need to be special and awesome and give you the, the best price for admission. I think this has enough history and enough importance to garner a weekend where you might not get a full racing pleasure while watching this, but you are going to be watching. That's one of the reasons why in the top things to watch for, I put who is actually going to win. I could do that every week. I don't, but I did it for this one because it does matter who wins the Monaco Grand Prix. You are putting yourself in, in the history books and that's why I think it's going to stay. But I cannot, as a Formula One enthusiast, and again, this is for those of you who are new to the sport, I can't sell you this. I have a cousin who watched Drive to Survive. He started getting into Formula One. We, you know, He'll ask me some questions. I told him, I can't sell you Monaco. I can't. It's, other than its history, I can't sell you the racing. I can't sell you the strategy. I can't sell you anything. All I can sell you is it looks great. It's through, it's through the streets of Monte Carlo. It looks great. That's it. So go into this weekend, watch the Monaco Grand Prix, watch the Indy 500, watch the Coca-Cola 600. Enjoy the weekend of racing. All three are very important to their, not only to their own particular sports body, but to global motorsports in general. So enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix. Enjoy it. I hope you like it. We'll review it next week. Please leave us a five-star review if you like this podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. This is the Overtake F1 Podcast.